Welcome to Prepare to Care, the ARP podcast with resources and tools to support the millions of family caregivers who provide unpaid care to their loved ones. I'm Marie Pierre, your host. So we all know about social security and what it is, and, and some of us may already be claiming our retirement checks, but there are lots of facets and lots of information about secure, social security and Medicare. So today we've invited Andrew Hardwick, who is with the Public Affairs Department of Social Security Administration. I've had the pleasure of, of meeting Andrew before, and he's, uh, he's a wealth of information about Social Security and Medicare. He is here today to answer these questions that will give us some insight on the programs available to help family caregivers and their loved ones. So if you think you only need Social Security once you retire, I'm encouraging you to think again. Coming up on Prepare to Care. So, um, Andrew, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Um, so, Andrew, my first question for you is, uh, very often people fall into a caregiving situation. Somebody gets sick and, um, and we're like in this do mode, right? Um, and what I've heard is that there might be some social security benefits available for people who are not of retirement age, so who are like younger than 65 or 67 and who suddenly fall ill um, and need some benefits. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, social security actually provides three benefits. We have retirement, survivor, and disability. If a person becomes disabled because of a physical or mental disability, that's gonna last at least a year prior to their full retirement age, they can claim disability. Disability pays you the same as though you were full retirement age. If I take early retirement, my benefits will be cut depending on how early I take that retirement. 62 is the earliest you can take retirement. However, if I get disability at 62, my case is approved, then I would get the same amount as though I were full retirement age. What are the criteria for disability, roughly? I'm sure there are lots of them, but... yeah. Uh, Basically, like I said, you have to have a physical or mental disability that has lasted or is expected to last at least a year. Okay, that's a simple explanation, but you know, how does a person go about? First of all, you can file the disability claim online. Uh, if you want to know what the criteria is, you can go to our website, socialsecurity.gov or ssa.gov, G-O-V, and then type in Blue Book. Blue Book is the nickname for the book that Social Security uses, Disability Evaluation Under Social Security. Wrong title, just type in Blue Book, and you'll see the. this is the manual that we use. Actually, we don't make the medical decision in the Social Security office. We have an agency of the state that's contracted with the federal government that does the decisions for us. That's done in Austin here. So you look at, you put in the person's condition, it'll take you to the section of the book that, that deals with that condition, and it'll tell you what the claims examiner or what the disability examiner rather is looking for in order to see if the person meets the criteria for disability. If they don't meet everything in that particular category, if they have several illnesses, they might meet two out of the three in one category, maybe four out of the five in the other, that might be enough to then then approve them as for disability. Social Security takes into consideration the person's age, their education, their knowledge of the English language, and the degree to which they have this disability. So really, if you're in a caregiving situation, somebody is seriously ill, it's expected to last more than one year, 
you would say, give it a shot, right? Follow the claim. Absolutely, absolutely. It, and as I said, it can be done online. It basically takes you maybe uh, less than an hour. The the most the one that would take the most would be the disability form because it asks questions about about the person's illness, but also the names, addresses, and phone numbers of doctors. That is very important because we want to get the information on the person from their treating physician. It's much better. Otherwise, Social Security will send the person to one of our doctors, but I always say it's much better to go to the treating physician or the treating source, the hospital, or whatever, and uh, and get that information. So, so as a caregiver, be prepared. Have all the names of the doctors, have all their contact information, have everything lined up when you fill that, that, that application. Exactly, right? exactly. Now, what about the folks who are, treat, who are taking care of people who are a little bit older, who are already receiving Social Security benefits, and then suddenly, like, you know, mommy's not quite right anymore, mm -hmm. right? And she's in the hospital, and I want to talk to Social Security. Can I do that? Well, this is the problem. Because of the Privacy Act, and the person is still getting checks in their own name, we can't really disclose information about that person, even to close family members who are caregivers. And they might say, well, I have power of attorney. Uh, Social Security does not recognize power of attorney for Social Security purposes. We have something called representative payee. That's our equivalent of power of attorney. So what the person would do is they would contact us, come into the Social Security office, file a claim to be the representative payee for their loved one, uh, whoever they're caring for, and then we would contact their loved one's doctor to get an assessment of whether the person was able to handle their financial affairs uh, due to their physical or mental disability if that posed an obstacle. If the doctor states that in his or her opinion the person is incapable, that means that they need someone to represent them. So the person, then the relative uh, that's filed for the claim, what we're going to do is we're going to notify the person, the, the, the person who's getting the Social Security checks. We're going to say, we're going to send them a letter and say, so-and-so has applied to be your payee. You have 10 days to object. If we don't hear from the person within 10 days, we'll go ahead and put the loved one there uh, as the payee. Now, as the payee, uh, what that means is the person needs to, for instance, um, on the bank account, they need to add their name and put so-and-so representative payee for. The bank knows this, that as soon as they get their appointment letter from Social Security saying they have been made the payee, they take that to the bank, and the bank will help them set up the bank account. They should never, under any circumstance, mix their funds with the funds of the person they're representing. They're acting as an agent for the person they're representing. Also, as the payee, they're not to give large amounts of money to the person they represent. The reason they're the payee is because the doctor found the person to be incapable of handling their own benefits. So if you go ahead and you just withdraw the money from the bank, you turn around and you give it to the person that you represent, you're not really fulfilling your duties as a payee. Also, as a payee, you'll be filling out a report which can be done online once a year, which asks you how you use the benefits for the person. Uh, this, you know, sometimes people get anxious about this. How am I going to fill this out? Am I going to give the right answer? Whatever. Uh, let me just give you a tip here. Um, on that form that you get from Social Security, on the upper right-hand corner is a money figure. That's what we have sent you for that person for the year. The questions on the bottom have to do with that amount of money. 
So how much of that did you spend for clothes? How much for food? How much did you put away? Large expenses, whatever. And, uh, you know, people get anxious sometimes. They say, well, I don't have all my receipts. I don't have this down to the penny. Don't worry about it. You can just, you know, uh, round off. But as long as more or less, if you got $15,000 for the person you represent for the year, the answers on the bottom should roughly equal about $15,000. If you, if the answers on, on the sheet that you filled out or that you complete on the, on the internet uh, account for $12,000, we're gonna we're gonna call you into the office and say, well, you accounted for twelve thousand, but what happened to the other three thousand? Because we sent you fifteen thousand. Right. So uh, what we ask people is for big purchases, please keep your receipts for those. Because if you put on the form that you know I purchased furniture or a big screen TV or we needed a refrigerator, and that's fine. Just keep the receipt and uh, show it to Social Security. That's so if you have any questions about how to spend the money please call Social Security up. We'll, we'll help you. Sometimes you get a big check on behalf of the person. So you're going, oh my gosh, how can I spend this money? The uh, We have a guidebook which is called A Guide for Representative Payees. It's available online or it's also in, in hard copy. And it kind of gives you some guides on what to spend that money on. But make sure if they're large purchases that you... Um, that you let Social Security know or you ask Social Security, is it okay to do that? So if I understand well, like, you know, power of attorney, sometimes it's something that people do when they prepare their will, maybe early right. on, right? This is not something that's done early on. This is something that's done when you need it, right? Right, exactly. Which is, you know, mom got sick, suddenly she can't handle her own affairs, and I want to be able to manage her money for her because suddenly I'm the caretaker. So then I've got to apply and I've got to keep track of those expenses, at least, uh, you know, get an idea of how the money is being spent. Right. The because Social Security wants to know that I'm doing well by, by my mom. Right. Even the pamphlet, this, A Guide for Representative Payees, has actually a sheet where you can kind of put down those expenses every month or the, uh, those expenses every month so you can more or less have an idea of what, you know, uh, how money is being spent. The reason we do this is we want to make sure that the person who's representing a loved one is using the money for the best, you know, in the best way for the person they represent. None of that money is theirs, so they're not allowed to charge a fee or anything like that and say, well, you know, I'm doing this for my mom, so I'm going to take 10% for myself. Gotcha. Okay, so it's their money. You're just managing their money. So, question. So, let's say you have a couple, right? Mm -hmm. And they're both claiming Social Security. They're both, you know, retired. They're claiming Social Security. The money is going to a joint account. One of them gets sick. Would you recommend that, that the spouse who is the caretaker, you know, apply to be the, the representative payee? Absolutely. That would be our first choice, would be the live-in spouse would be the representative payee for their spouse. Because, we again, we go by, you know, we look at, we say, well, who would be in the best interest of, of the person that uh, that is that is not able to handle their their affairs? Because on the payee report, not the payee report, but the application to be the payee, we ask you, how often do you see this person? How do you know about their needs? So naturally, the living with spouse would see their spouse pr probably every day, so they know what the what the needs are. If somebody's applying to be the payee, and for instance, they live in Pennsylvania and their loved one is here in Texas, it's going to be hard to pick that person as a pay. How are they going to know about the needs of the person? There are special situations where, you know, we might, if there's nobody else available and they have a way of 
they have someone here who can check on that person, that might be able to be done. But generally, we prefer somebody who's close by in the vicinity, somebody who sees the person often so they know what their needs are. So really what I'm hearing is there's a review process to make sure that the person who is entitled to the benefits, you know, is, is actually receiving those benefits and that the payee is doing good by them. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's been mandated by Congress and we do that. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about Medicare. I mean, that's like a, a, a big thing. Um, a lot of older people who are being cared for by their caregivers have Medicare, right? So one topic is, oh, well, you know, people talk, caregivers talk, and they're like, oh, I paid this much in Medicare premiums, and it's like 20% more than my neighbor. That's like a big complaint, right? People feel right. like that's unfair. Right. So tell us a little bit, you know, when these conversations are going on, what, what, what's the reason for all this? There's two circumstances under which the Medicare premium would be higher. We're referring now to the Part B premium, also might be the Part D for prescription drugs. Uh, there are three times for signing up for Medicare. Uh, if a person does not sign up during the initial enrollment period or during the special enrollment period because they were working at 65 and they had coverage through their, through their employer, their spouse's employer, they can only apply during the general enrollment period, which is January to March of each year. Uh, if a person is a late enrollee, and the reason for that is because is not because they were covered under their employer, but just they didn't feel like applying for Medicare during the initial enrollment period or when they had the special enrollment period. So if they are a late enrollee, then for every year that they were late for filing for Medicare Part B, their premium is 10% higher. So if you were two years late, it's 20% higher, three years, 30%, and so on and so forth. And that never goes away. Okay, the other circumstance is if as a single person on your income tax, uh, you know, when you get through everything on the bottom line, if your income ends up to be higher than $85,000, and that's anything, dividends, interest, uh, wages, pensions, whatever. If it's higher than $85,000 for a single person or higher than $170,000 for a couple, your Medicare premiums are going to be higher than the standard $134 a month. How much higher? Well, it depends on what your income is. We have, uh, I can't tell you by heart, but there is an, in the in the book, uh, we have a book that said, that's about uh, Medicare premiums, rules for higher income beneficiaries, and it explains what category you're in and why you're paying a higher premium. Now, sometimes people get stuck in this because they've had capital gains. What if you sold the house and you know that threw you over? You're married and you and your spouse generally have under $170,000 income for the year, but you sold a house uh, uh, last year and the capital gains gave you an extra whatever and threw you over that amount, okay? Your premiums are gonna be higher but just for a year because the following year when you, did your when you do your taxes and if your income is below $170,000 as a couple, then your premiums will be reduced to the regular rate. So the fact that you're paying a higher premium because your income was higher one or two years ago is may change if your income changes. You're not locked into that. Whereas if you have a penalty premium because you file late, that's forever and ever. Gotcha. Now, uh, about Medicare, like, is this something like Social Security? Like, can I, can I take care of Medicare for my mom? 
Actually, you can file for Medicare A and B through Social Security. That's the way you do that. Uh, it, it, and you can take, if you apply to be the payee through Social Security, we will notify CMS, Center for Medicare Medicaid Services. We'll let them know so that you can do your business through Medicare. So they'll see on their screen, oh, this person is the payee. We share our information with Center for Medicare Medicaid Services. So they should know when somebody has a payee. That's a really good information because that's another incentive to be the representative payee for that person, right. to have that form and have everything in place. So uh, another thing that caregivers struggle with is, is often situations where somebody is ill and so on, there are lots of drugs. Uh, you know, people have, have prescription drugs, they have medication, you know, what's available to deal with that? Well, traditional Medicare A and B don't cover prescription drugs unless you're in the hospital. So what we have is Medicare Part D. Now, because of the nature of the program, it's administered through private plans, not through Medicare. Uh, you can't come to Social Security like A and B to file for Medicare Part D. You can go to, to Medicare.gov or call 1-800-MEDICARE. Tell them the medications that your loved one is taking, and they'll, they'll give you the three cheapest plans, and they can sign you up, or you can go to a, a drug plan provider there are many private plans in the Houston area and sign up through them for Medicare Part D and that, that will cover the prescription drugs. Now some of them have, the, the, you know, the premiums can differ. The average is about $34 a month. Some are less than that, some are higher. Some have a copay, some don't have a copay. So it depends on what plan you pick, who you go with and things like that. But you can go through Medicare and they will give you like your three cheapest plans or you can just go to medicare.gov online and uh, click on drug plan finder and put in the medications and they'll tell you for the area where the person lives what are the three most economical plans. Nice, and you can change those plans once a year during enrollment yes, as yes. well? Yes, you have open enrollment where you can change and, and you can switch to another plan and then the following year you get on the new plan. Nice. Now let's talk about something that's a little green here, but you know, what if somebody passes away? Particularly you have a couple, Somebody's been taking care, you know, um, husband's been taking care of the wife, suddenly she passes away. Right. What are the implications in terms of Social Security? Okay, if the husband and wife were on the record together, okay, and let's say the wife, uh, the wife was getting more money than the husband, what happens is uh, upon our re receiving the notification that the person passed away, what we're going to do is pay the difference to the surviving spouse between what the deceased spouse got and what the surviving spouse is getting. So let me just give you an example. Let's say my wife passes away. She was getting $2,500 a month. I was getting $2,000. What happens is upon Social Security verifying that my wife passed away, they will add $500 to my $2,000 to make it equal to $2,500 my wife was getting. Some people think that, well, the, the $2,500 that your spouse is getting, that's going to be added on to the $2,000. I wish it were so, but it's not that way. But it's way. not. Now, sometimes people say, well, my spouse passed away and I didn't get any. My checks are still the same. That's right. If your spouse that passed away was getting less than you, then you're not going to get there's no difference there. Since they were getting less than you, there's not going to be any difference. Now, suppose you and your spouse are getting, both of you are getting your own benefit. If my wife passes away, she was getting her benefit, I was getting mine. In order for me to get a widower's benefit, 
I have to file for widower's benefits under my wife. It's not automatic because I wasn't on my wife's record. I was getting my own Social Security. She was getting hers. So for me to get widower's benefits, I actually, not only do I have to notify Social Security that my wife passed away, but I have to file a widower's application. Had I been on her record, had I been getting spousal benefits under my wife and been on her record, Social Security just would have made the change automatic. But because we were each getting our own on our own Social Security record, I have to file a, a, a widower's uh, application. And, and the same will apply. If she if she received less than right. I have, I can't expect anything. That's right. I so won't get that's it. a big takeaway for caregivers is you can't expect that the family budget is going to keep being the same. If somebody right. passes away, it might be reduced. Big change, big change. So, Andrew, that, that's about all the time that we have to, to for today. But before you go, what's the last big piece of advice you would have for a caregiver today? Well, the, the last piece of advice I would have is uh, knowledge is power. Go to the Social Security website, socialsecurity.gov or ssa.gov. Please read up on, these, on, on our benefits. We have a lot of information available. If you still have questions, call 1-800-772-1213. That's our number from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday through Friday. If you still want to come in to see somebody, please come in with an appointment. The 800 number can make an appointment. If you come in with an appointment, your waiting time should be about 10 or 15 minutes. You come in without an appointment, bring a good book. All right. Thank you. Andy, uh, and this was like terrific advice. So, folks, uh, we've spoken today with Andy Hardwick. He's the public affairs specialist and local social security administration guru. And he came today to give us all this great advice. If you want to find out more about the tips and programs Andy shared with us today, please visit the Social Security website at www.ssa.gov. Now, if you thought this podcast was helpful, or if you have friends who have struggled with accessing their Social Security benefits, please, please invite them to follow the Prepare to Care podcast. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, And of course, on the AARP website, which is www.aarp.org slash Houston PTC. Thanks for listening. And as always, thanks for caring.